In One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Randall McMurphy is cured by a lobotomy. I ask you, is that any way to treat a seizure? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Roger Hudgens. Dr. Hudgens is the Chief of Neurosurgery and Medical Director of the Brain and Spinal Tumor Program and Surgical Director of the Children's Epilepsy Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta in Atlanta, Georgia. He is the author of 65 publications and has appeared numerous times on the list of best doctors. Today we are discussing neurosurgical approaches to the treatment of seizures. Hi, Dr. Hudgens, and thank you for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. It's my pleasure to be here. Can we start off with just an overview of which conditions lend themselves best to a neurosurgical approach? Well, those children or those patients that have intractable seizures are those that benefit from a surgical approach. And it's interesting how this has evolved over the years because not that long ago, the standard operation and essentially the only operation for epilepsy was a temporal lobectomy. And what that meant is that if your seizures were coming out of the temporal lobe, in many ways you were in luck because there was something that could be done about it. But if they didn't, there really wasn't anything that could be done. Uh, Now we have a lot of different surgical options, and in many cases surgery is the best option. So you're thinking that this could be close to a first-line approach to treatment then? Well, maybe not a first-line approach, but in the past what we've seen is patients that have come to us after years and years of poorly controlled seizures and after having been tried on numerous medications. I do think that most of the neurologic community is coming around to defining intractability as having poor seizure control after two medications. Does the time uh, or duration of the seizure disorder play a factor too? Yes, it does. In many ways, certainly some seizures are self-limited. In other words, they're going to get better uh, regardless. And clearly, uh, those are not surgical candidates. On the other hand, seizures that continue and are poorly controlled for a long period of time interfere greatly with the child's development or the adult's ability to hold down a job and be functional. So we really do like to intervene successfully, whether it's medication or surgically, as soon as we possibly can. You mentioned failure to respond to two different medications. How many trials or combinations does that entail? What we usually try to do is start off with one medication. And 80% of people with epilepsy, and epilepsy is defined as repetitive seizures, 80% will be controlled with one medication. If they're not, then the addition of another medication will control another 5 to 10%. But that leaves approximately 10 to 15% of patients that despite medications both singly and in combination at adequate doses, uh, do not have good seizure control. And what is control defined, or how is control defined? Absence Uh, of seizures or... I'm sorry? Does it have to be absence of seizures? No, not necessarily. It really does depend upon the patient, what their expectations are, uh, and what their life goals are. In other words, we have some patients who, unfortunately, uh, are not going to be able to hold down jobs, probably secondary to an underlying condition, may not be getting out of the house as much. And so... In that situation, one to two seizures a week may be acceptable control. Uh, 
On the other hand, if you're a 16- or 17-year-old uh, adolescent, uh, otherwise normal, you want to drive a car, you want to be able to go out with your friends, in that situation, one seizure a month or even one seizure a year is probably too much because you can't get a driver's license. So you would operate on someone who truly has no more than one or two seizures a year? Oh, we'd think about that real carefully. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I really couldn't say something like that, but it really is a discussion that takes place with that child or patient and with the family because it really needs to be put in the context of what problems this is causing in their life. And, and let me phrase it another way. If we did have say, a 16-year-old child uh, with an MRI scan that showed uh, a small, possibly benign tumor, and all of our electrical EEG data appeared to be coming from that tumor and it was accessible, then yes, we would operate on that. Does the degree of disability play a role, too? The uh, Beforehand, before the surgery? Yeah, so that do you have to have both frequency and a disability from the seizure? Or is seizure frequency enough to consider surgery? I think seizure frequency is enough because seizure frequency in and of itself is a disability. Again, as we previously talked about, you can't drive. Then if you can't drive, you can't get to work or you can't get to school. It's a tremendous social stigma at times when you're trying to be normal and you can never tell when a seizure is coming on. The fact that you have a seizure disorder in and of itself, uh, is in many cases a disability. The duration of epilepsy seems to play a role in the continuing incidence of the seizures. How early can you operate on a child? We really can operate on a child at any time. And when we first began our uh, epilepsy program here in Atlanta at Children's, we were looking for that uh, quote-unquote perfect case. In other words, we were looking for a child that had temporal lobe epilepsy in which the MRI scan was abnormal. And before that happened, a three-month-old presented with what we call catastrophic uh, epilepsy of infancy. And this child was having one to 200 seizures a day. And in that situation, our hand was forced and we had to go ahead and operate on that abnormal brain. And quite often, by the way, in infants, that's the way they present with up to several hundred seizures a day that are poorly controlled. And in that situation, surgery quite often is your best option. What is the success rate with the surgery? Depends on what you're operating on. For temporal lobectomy, especially if you have a lesion, the success rate, the cure rate, the ability to get that patient off medications and, and seizure-free is anywhere between 80 to 90%. Now, that tends to fade a bit with time, and if you come back 10 years later, you're probably talking about 70%, but still a very high success rate when you consider that the medical control of that and curing it uh, is, is, is almost zero. Other situations, and, and one of the procedures that quite often really scares patients is a hemispherectomy, where we literally take out one half of the brain. But interestingly, that's actually our most successful surgery in properly chosen patients, with about 90% of them achieving seizure control. What sort of disabilities does that result in? They will be weak on the other side, but most of the patients prior to the surgery already have that weakness. In other words, that hemisphere, that side of the brain, already is damaged for whatever reason, whether it was an in utero stroke whether it's uh, trauma or whether it's one of several different congenital abnormalities. So 
most of the patients that we operate on for hemispherectomy already have the weakness that they would have otherwise uh, obtained from the surgical procedure. Did you see the movie Memento? The person had the learning problem. He couldn't remember things forward. And Oh, yes. yes. Now, well, having had a hemilobectomy, are these people subject to that kind of problem? Usually not. And if the insult to that hemisphere happened uh, when the child was young enough, most of those types of things have been transferred to the other hemisphere. In other words, most of the time our left hemisphere is our dominant hemisphere, having language and memory functions. However, if there is an in utero stroke and the child is born with an injured left hemisphere, almost invariably language and memory function will reside in the right hemisphere. It sounds like temporal lobe epilepsy is the ideal candidate. What other areas of the brain are approachable neurosurgically? Almost every part of the brain is approachable. And one of the things that we're finding now that's coming really quite close behind temporal lobe surgery is cortical dysplasia. In fact, another term is focal cortical dysplasia because we're specifically looking for areas of abnormal brain development. And we can see those now with very high-quality MRI scans. And these are very frequently seizure-generating areas of the brain. So if you can localize that area on MR, and again, if it's congruent with your EEG findings, then the success rate from removal of that cortical dysplasia is very high. Can you tell us a little bit about life after neurosurgery, besides the fact that the incidence of seizures goes way down? How else are the patient's lives affected? Usually positively, in the sense that if we can stop the seizures, again, they'll be able to drive, hold down a job, uh, hopefully be able to get them off medications. And medications can dull you, can make it difficult to learn. So for the most part, these are very positive experiences. Are there restrictions such as you can't play football, you can't play soccer? Not unless there's an underlying problem, no. I, we let all our patients you know, go out and do everything they can possibly do. The underlying philosophy there is that we took significant steps to try to get them in a position where they can be everything they can be and afterwards, I certainly wouldn't want to limit them unless there was another reason to do so. Can you tell us a story about a child that you remember whose life you really changed? I'm sure there are many, but is there one that sticks out in your mind? Well, yes. I mean, one of the interesting things about this is that there are a variety of different surgeries. There is a surgery that uh, you kind of mentioned, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, I guess, as we started this, and probably the closest equivalent that we have to that surgery these days is what's called a corpus callosotomy. It's a surgery that really is not done that much because there are other techniques that work, but in certain situations, it is the best surgery to do. And what it does is it literally separates the connections between the hemispheres. It's typically done in patients that have atonic seizures, that is, seizures in which all of a sudden they lose tone and fall. And there have been several situations, one in particular I remember that I saw a child who had broken his nose, broken his jaw, broken his arm, and just had scars all over from these harmful, terrible falls. We performed corpus callosotomy, and while the child is not seizure-free, that's not the goal of a surgery such as that, he is seizure-free from those types of atonic harmful falls. This has dramatically impacted his life in the sense that he was not able literally to get out of bed or even or to get out of his house. 
and now the child is holding down a job, being successful in school, and really is able to function uh, independently. You must go home with a great big smile on your face every day. Well, I tell you, epilepsy surgery, you know, it has its risks, and we are very careful about going over those with the family. But it, it, it's, it's in many cases a very successful surgery. A lot of the things that we do in neurosurgery are not as successful as this. Probably it's one of the reasons that I like to do it, to be quite honest with you. But yes, uh, it, it's, it, it's a good feeling to help patients like that. Our time has just gone by so swiftly. I'd like to thank Dr. Roger Hudgens, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the neurosurgical treatment of epilepsy. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.